It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is Wednesday's edition. Thanks for being with us. I'm Paul Dottino. He is Super Bowl champion Jeff Eagles. We are with you for the next hour on a very special edition of BBKL. We can't take any phone calls from you today, but I think you'll enjoy what we have in mind anyway. Now, don't forget, you can always find an archive of this show on our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcasts, and you will want to go back and listen to this program because today... We are in conjunction with the Giants unveiling their plans for the 10th anniversary season of the 2011 Super Bowl New York Giants. The guys who beat the Patriots in Super Bowl 46 will be honored throughout the course of the year with different podcasts, with a reunion weekend on October 17th against the L.A. Rams at MetLife Stadium. There will be all kinds of programming on all of the Giants entertainment platforms as, again, we relive some of the highlights from that 2011 season. Now, in today's program, in particular, we are going to review the 2011 New York Giants Super Bowl Anniversary Bracket Challenge. And Jeff and I will go over the 16 plays that have been selected to be part of this bracket as you, the fans, have an opportunity to go onto Twitter and vote pairing by pairing to get these plays pared down round by round until you come up with the biggest play of the Giants' Super Bowl Forty Six season. Now, we're not necessarily going to pick that play for you. That's up to you guys to decide. But what we will do is go over these 16 plays, the pairings as they have been allocated, and we'll give you some of our thoughts about those plays. And if by chance you don't remember them, we will fill all the gaps in and give you all of that information and then have a couple of thoughts on our own. Hello, Jeff. It is so good to be with you on this uh, anniversary spectacular. This is great. I mean, I'm excited about this because, uh, you know, it was 10 years ago already. I remember the 07 anniversary we had. I'm like, where did those 10 years go? And now, my goodness, this is, uh, this, you know, 10 years ago, we're talking about the Giants. And by the way, that was, uh, my first year as uh, doing broadcasting stuff for the Giants team. So that was fun. And going through all these things just reminds you of how great a season that was. Paul, a um, couple guys had just outstanding, outstanding years, and uh, the reunion was, we'll talk a little bit about that, but let's get to this, because this is a lot of fun. There's, By the way, this is the sweet 16, as in using basketball terms, you got 16 plays. We certainly could have had 64 <laughs> started, <laughs> you know, um, but I think we've, not us, but the, uh, the Giants people have pick their 16 plays and they're all good ones and so i think we're gonna have fun going through each and every one of them hopefully our uh, listeners will be able to come up with their own idea paul about what's who's going to be the winner we will digest this stuff for you guys and then spit it out and let you know what we think all right so let's get cracking uh on the 16 plays in the Giants super bowl 46 bracket mm-hmm. challenge these are not in our order these are in order of how they are uh a 
matched up. Matched up, yes. Yeah. How they are matched up in the bracket. So you guys will have to kind of discern which you think is the better one as we go round by round, pair by pair. So we will go over the 16 first round plays. And the first pairing is Manningham's super sideline catch against Roll's key pick in Arizona. Now the Manningham catch is uh, in the Super Bowl against New England. The Patriots are up 17-15, to 15, three and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. First and ten from the Giants' 12-yard line, and Eli Manning goes back to throw and hits Mario Manningham with a pinpoint throw mm. down the left sideline for 38 yards. The Giants would go on to score a touchdown on that drive and knock off the Pats in the Super Bowl 21-17. to 17. Rolls play is week four in Arizona. Early in the fourth quarter, he comes up with an interception that allows the Giants uh, to continue their momentum as they knock off the Cardinals 31-27. to Now, a couple of quick thoughts here, Jeff, before I hand it to you. Mm-hmm. Roll, obviously, uh, as one of the defensive leaders on this team, asserted himself throughout the course of the season. He was a major force in playing not only safety for the team this year, but also played some slot in the nickel. Mm-hmm. And and really was a tremendous influence on this championship roster. And so uh, you can't say enough about his intangibles. And the Manningham throw, well, or should I say catch, <clears throat> I, I still consider that one and the Ben Roethlisberger toss to Santonio Holmes in the back corner of the end zone as probably the two greatest throws in Super Bowl history. Well, certainly I believe the Manning to Manningham sideline catch throw is by far Eli Manning's best throw, other than the Super Bowl 2007 to Plaxico. <laughs> but I will tell you, that one was just truly amazing. Uh, the time, I mean, like you said, with you know a little little more than three and a half minutes left in the game, down 17-15. By the way, if you remember in that 2011 season, how many times did Eli Manning brought this team back to win? And uh, I'll tell you, that was just an unbelievable throw. I think he'll tell you the same thing, Paul. He probably, if he doesn't rank that that throw up in his top five, I, I, there's something wrong with him. He gets his head checked because I think that was just an absolutely beautiful a touch. Just laid it in there. And by the way, let's give a little credit to uh, Mario Manningham to, for catching it. It was perfectly thrown. And by the way, he had to have his feet in, you know, almost like the Imani Toomer kind of catch. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, uh, just a great pitch and catch, we call it. Um, Andre Roll, I don't think you can say any more about him. His leadership brought that team through that season. He just was a great leader on the field, off the field. You know, he was a smart dude. He went to the University of Miami, as we all know. A lot of smart guys coming out of there, Paul. So you understand that. <laughs> but I will tell you, Wise he, guy. his leadership is ridiculous in the locker room and, you know, went on to have a great season that year and, and really, you know, you need that type of leadership in the locker room and on the field, and he had it. And I think that helped that team uh, persevere to that Super Bowl. So, you know, both those plays are, um, you know, we're not going to break it down and give you an idea of who we would pick. But the fact of the matter is that both of those are key plays in the 2011 season. So both of them were very monumental for them. Well, consider this about Roll. That particular play is not physically spectacular, but mm-hmm. what it does indicate is his football intelligence. Sure. He was in the right place at the right time. Oh, he read that football from the beginning. Exactly. 
And uh, in that situation, you know, with Fitzgerald, he's the guy that they're going to go to. And um, he was playing deep center field and came down and just, just went over there and picked it and uh, kept his speed in bounds again, and it was good. It was a great play. Taking advantage of the opportunity afforded to him. So that is pairing number one. We go to pairing number two, and I think maybe as we go through these, it might be best if I ask you to uh, comment on each one before I finish the pairing, Jeff. Okay. Uh, we'll go with Hakeem Nix here in the wild card game at home against Atlanta. Two and a half minutes left in the third quarter, and he has a catch and run, 72 yards for a touchdown. It puts the Giants ahead 17-2 to in a dominating victory yeah. that culminates in a 24-2 to score. Uh, the Giants' only playoff game to this date at MetLife Stadium, and it was impressive. Yeah, and by the way, for those scoring at home, <laughs> uh, we talk about Atlanta a lot. We've uh, previewed Atlanta yesterday. Uh, we heard about Eli Manning going to get his, uh, you know, his number retired and up in the, all that good stuff at the Atlanta game. But by the way, Paul, this was the only home playoff game for win for Eli Manning, Atlanta game. So, um, here's the other thing about this, this, this Hakeem Nix. What a season he had. By the way, if you look at what he did, he kind of had a little delayed in route. Um, off of what was just a, a small little pick. And he, uh, he, and we talked about this before coming on the show, Paul. You and I agree that Hakeem Nix had some good speed. He wasn't the fastest guy, but boy, when he got to that second level, he had some afterburners. And this play alone shows you how those afterburners worked because he split three defenders and outran everyone down the field for a touchdown. And, uh, what a game that was. 72 yards. I mean, I'm going back looking at all these highlight films. It, for, for some reason, 70 yards is like, is Eli Manning's number because he's got 72 yards, 74 yards, all these long bombs. And so if I'm the other team and they're on their own 32 or whatever, I'm, I'm nervous now because I'm thinking something big's going to come through. But what a good run, catch and run for him and to split those defenders. Wow, he was quick. Well, is it any surprise then mm-hmm. that when you talk about Eli having a very, very terrific uh, season passing the ball, that the pairing here would then include the third star receiver on that team, Victor Cruz. Week 17 at home against Dallas, uh, about five minutes left in the first quarter, and he takes off down the left sideline on a 74-yard touchdown, a catch and run, puts the Giants up. Seven to nothing in a game that they would go on to win thirty-one to fourteen. But more importantly, they had to win that game, which got them the playoff spot as the division champs. And we all know what happened in the postseason. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite the play, Victor Cruz. We know we talk about him. What a season he had! I mean, you look at him and and uh, Mario Manningham and Hakeem Nix. And and by the way, this particular play, Paul. You know, we talk about how receivers have to block downfield. Well, Mario Manningham had a clutch block on this play, if you go back and look at it, which kind of sprung loose Victor Cruz for the long play running down the field. And um, we talk about this all the time, how these players can use a video board to help them know what's going on behind them. It's like, that's, that's the truth. They, he's got his eyes up there looking at that video board, knowing that there's two guys behind him that aren't going to catch him. But he just kept running down the sideline and uh, for a touchdown. And it was a third and one play. Uh, but a big, 
big momentum play for the Giants to be able to, to, to beat Dallas that day. On national television, mm-hmm. Sunday night football, what a tremendous spotlight, and the Giants cap off their regular season in spectacular fashion. And I love what you said about Knicks before because it's also appropriate to Cruz, I think, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Both of those guys had what they call long speed. Mm-hmm. They ran effortlessly, and while it didn't look like over 10, 15, 20 yards that they could sprint by you, if they got deep and they got it going 30 or 40 yards downfield in the open field, you were not going to catch them. Not a bit. And we talk about big plays all the time. You know, the last few years we've talked about how the offense was lacking in the big play. You heard Dave Gettleman uh, talk about we need a big play receiver. Well, these are big plays, and we haven't seen these types of big plays in a long, long time. And, and by the way, that throw by Eli Manning was low. And um, man, he was able to, to pick it up and turn his head around and, and run for the Run for the finish line, and he certainly did a great job with that. Okay, pairing number three, Cruz unveils the salsa dance. (laughs) This is week three in Philadelphia. Uh, Giants get a 74-yard touchdown (laughs) out of uh, Victor Cruz, who winds up with two scores on the day, three catches for 110 yards. Giants win this game uh, 29-16, to and... You know, what can what can you say? Victor was a, a colorful player, an exciting player, a guy who, when he made plays, sparked the emotions of the team, and the Salsa became one of the uh, insignias of that mm-hmm. season. Yeah, it's crazy, right? I mean, we all know the story about Victor Cruz and being from Patterson and, um, you know, his background and what a – no better time to break that thing out because I'll tell you that was that was amazing to see him just continue to do it all season. But again, Paul, a 74-yard pass, right? Um, it was on a little wheel route. He broke one tackle and then split two defenders and then broke another tackle and then went untouched down the sideline and then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the salsa dance. There it was. Beautiful, 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 another great play, especially against the Cowboys, against the Eagles, excuse me. Well, I think that's really what kind of was, in my mind, that's the breakout game mm-hmm. for Cruz. Because if you remember, um, you know, he comes up with those two huge plays, and at the time, people did not know what they were in store for. Mm-hmm. You had absolutely no clue that he was going to be a thousand yard plus receiver who would basically, you know, be one of the catalysts to winning the championship. Well, just, I mean, look at the story, right? I mean, what a, it just shows you how some people go under the radar. And if you have um, perseverance and dedication and, and a guy that the will to want to succeed, um, you know, this is, you look at Victor Cruz. I mean, here's a guy that went out there and made the team. And next thing you know, he's a, he's a star. And um, this was his coming out. I mean, I think this is when he finally said, listen, I've been waiting to do this for a long time, but I had to wait for the right time, and this was the right time against a division opponent on a huge play like that. And uh, after that, forever, the number 80 jersey was flying off the shelves at that point. <laughs> okay, so pairing number three has the Cruz catch against Philly mm-hmm. uh, with the salsa dance, and it goes up against what is known as Bradshaw <laughs> Trucks Pool. And we explained <laughs> this one as follows week 16 regular season uh road game against the jets and poor brodney pool victimized by ahmad bradshaw 
who basically runs right through his chest on a 14-yard touchdown run in the third quarter. The Giants go on to route their New York rivals 29-14. to What a runner. Um, I've told you this before, one of the toughest teammates I've ever seen, um, Ahmad Bradshaw. And this play just goes to show you his toughness and how, how he's just not going to let anybody come down. And Oh, Brodney Poole just, he learned a, learned a lesson there about going head on to a running back, you know, and just kind of just trucked him. And, you know, if it was another team, I don't think this play would have been, it probably would have, but to be at a, to have it come against the Jets, um, that's even better. And I think that, uh, Ahmad Bradshaw, what a runner, what a season he had. And again, he's another one of those guys, Paul, that, you know, he could dance and dance and dance. And once he hits that, that hole, the next thing you know, he has that long speed too. And, uh, I, I told you before we came on the air today is that going through all these highlights, I just, you know, you kind of forget about some of these players, how, how great of a season that these guys had and some of the runs that they did and play action. Man, did they use play action a lot, but this wasn't play action. This was, Hey, here, Ahmad, here's the ball. Get us in the end zone. Did it. Um, put the Giants up uh, ten to seven at that point in the third quarter. Well, only twenty-two seconds left in the third quarter. So um, that was a big, big run for him, and just shows you the toughness. And by the way, Paul, from a player standpoint, <laughs> when you see somebody do that, man, when he comes off to the sideline, you see how jacked up the team gets. I mean, you know, remember back in the day they had the jacked up award. I won that award, by the way, for the Jeremiah Trotter hit. I was the number one jacked up hit of the year um <laughs> and, and you can believe it you can believe it that i got jacked up on that but that's a jacked up play right there when that gets everybody fired up on the sideline and ahmad just you know and he's so humble the most humble guy i've ever met he just come off the sideline yeah that's just what i do right you know that's just that's the way he was what a great play you know, 5'11", 195 pounds when he came mm-hmm. out of marshall as a seventh round draft pick and the funny part about Again, it yeah. is he had the heart the size of Mount Rushmore. He did. And yep. and to think that he had had foot problems all the way back in college and then put forth the kind of NFL career he did with the Giants, including, you know, two 1,000-yard seasons, not to mention being a part of two Super Bowl championship teams. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about uh, uh, his heart. You talk about how hard he ran. But then think about the toughness of running on Literally a bad foot <laughs> yeah. for for what became a nine year NFL career mm-hmm. that I you know, look, you and I both know this. There were times during the week he couldn't practice. Oh, hundred percent. And he just went out there on game day because that's all they, they were able to get out of him. Yeah, and by the way, I don't think he, you know, being a running back to play nine years in the NFL is one thing. To be a running back in the National Football League for nine years and be a seventh round draft pick, that's another thing. And also I don't think he played a game that he wasn't hurt. I just think the guy just knew how to play when he was banged up, and that's just the way he did it. They had to keep him out for a number of games. They managed him. Just yeah. because he, he, he was going to do too much damage to himself. That's right, yeah. You know, it, it was it was just he didn't know when to stop. He just kept going and going. And I think the one thing, too, that, that other people, you, you mentioned how humble he is. Ahmad Bradshaw was never a showman. Yeah. He'd go out there, like you said, score a touchdown, that was it, and then you guys would get fired up for him as teammates. Mm-hmm. He never had to rah-rah anybody, as well, opposed yeah. to, and again, <laughs> I love the guy, Me Brandon too. Jacobs was the kind of guy who was going to scream. 
Oh yeah, and boy. he was he was the opposite of Bradshaw <laughs> in that he would rile you up by his yeah. vocalness. Well, you know they say opposites attract, right? Well, those guys were, yeah. they were and they were tight, and they still are to this day. But Ahmad, you know, if you just uh, you got to know him just as much as I did, and you know, interviewing him and just being around him, you talk about the definition of chill. That is really. Ahmad Bradshaw, chill, right? Just nothing bothers him. I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to truck you just like I did Brodney Poole. And man, what a play that was. That was just, but spectacular teammate. Uh, great for the organization. Um, and I, we, we got to see him a couple times. You know, a lot of these players come for everybody that doesn't know this. They come back every year and do these autograph sessions during the football season. So we get to see a lot of them, Paul. You and I come through the stadium and, you know, they're sitting next to our, our stage when we're doing the pregame show. So we get a nice little homecoming every week at the, at the home games to see some of these old players. And Ahmad has been there a couple times. Entrell has been there. Victor's been there. All mm-hmm. these guys have been there. Now, I do want to mention one other thing here because it does point to something that we talk about a lot with this current Giants team. Remember, that is a Super Bowl championship squad that was last in the National Football League in team rushing during the course of the regular season. Oh, yeah. But what they did do so well, and and this is also why I think it was Eli Manning's greatest year, because his passing, uh, despite the fact that they were almost one-dimensional for most of the season, he just could not be stopped, and he had those six uh, come-from-behind fourth-quarter victories during mm-hmm. the regular season. Besides doing it in the postseason, uh, you know, just incredible. But what I want to point to, Jeff, is that over the course of this year, when you look at what the Giants did, in four of their last five regular season games, they were able to run for over 100 yards as a team which yeah. was something that they had only done four times previously during the rest of the early part of the season. Mm-hmm. They were able to establish a situational power running attack down the stretch of that year, which not only served them well to get into the playoffs, but then, as you know, they ran wild against Arizona for over 170 yards and ran for over 100 yards in the Super Bowl as well against the Pats. Yeah, and it just goes to show you that 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 uh the running game how it can set up things for the passing game because it really did for Eli. And um, you know, I mean, what a what a season that Eli Manning had in 2011. Like I said before, the way he was able to throw the football around. Um, you know, and the other thing that I want to mention about that team and the 07 team, and these are guys that stuck together. You know, they they really had a, a a camaraderie and a bond both off the field and on the field in the locker room. You covered them enough to know, Paul, that these the O seven team, the two Super Bowl teams, they were tight. That offensive line was just tight. The defensive line, the receivers, everybody got along. Um, there was symmetry in the building with the coaches. That is what Joe Judge today is trying to build, and we can see it happening. And now you look at this team last year, how they started to run the football. Uh, this could be a good sign for them coming ahead. All right, let's get to our next pairing. Let's go. Manning to Manningham, part one. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, comes in the NFC Championship game at San Francisco. A 17-yard touchdown catch that puts the Giants up with eight and a half minutes to play, 17 to 14. The Giants would go on to win in overtime, 20 to 17. Can never underestimate or understate the contributions that Mario Manningham made to that passing game. Yeah, because he was a guy that, you know, 
Uh, he was a speedster now. He was your guy to get down the field, the long ball, right? And um, we kind of – I'm not comparing the two, um, but when you look at the roster today, you're trying to find out who that guy is. Um, I would say it's Darius Slayton. Um, I think they're kind of very similar. And Well, I mean, he's – Mario Merriman was not – you talk about you talk about skinny. He was I, I, if he was a buck eighty, I would be very surprised, right? I mean, how much do you think he weighed, Paul? <laughs> I mean, Nottingham? it was close. Yeah, no, one seventy. <laughs> no, he was he was he was bigger yeah. than that. Yeah, I know. I'm just I'm just kind of. But I, uh, I think the funny part about Manningham, uh, they, they listed him officially at six feet, one hundred and eighty five pounds. Oh yeah. The he thing about that. him is that he carried it so well. He looked more wiry than he was, mm-hmm. and he had really good quicks. Yeah. 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 And it showed, I mean, you know, some of the ways that he's, and very agile. Like, you know, of, of, of those, all those receivers, he was a more, uh, acrobatic guy that could make some great catches. And uh, you look at, you know, like we said before, these are 16 plays in this season. Uh, you go back and look, Mario, some of his plays, some of his touchdowns that he made, they're, they're pretty spectacular. They're very, very good plays. And, uh, he was a target for Eli. Those are, look at those three receivers. And we haven't even talked about Jake Ballard yet. But the fact is, is that, Eli had some weapons, right? I mean, and that's what, I mean, I'm trying to emphasize these are Super Bowl teams that we're talking about, the 2011 Super Bowl team, building an offense around what, okay? They, they didn't have the greatest running game, okay? But they had some receivers, they had some playmakers. This is kind of where we're trying to get in 2021 with this offense for the Giants, some playmakers, some receivers that Daniel Jones can throw to. And so, this uh this is kind of a, a blueprint. But Mario Manningham, very agile, great play on that, and uh, that was just a great play all around from everybody. Protection, throw, and run. Well, the other part of this pairing in block number four uh, goes to special teams. We've yes. heard from offense and we've heard from defense, and now we go to special teams, and it, this one is known as the clutch turnover in the NFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. It's in San Francisco. We've already alluded uh, to this game. And uh, as opposed to the catch by Manningham, this is a play that uh, comes out of the blue. And special teamer Jaquan Williams with a forced fumble. And Devin Thomas, wide receiver, was at the back of the depth chart but was really good on the coverage teams, comes up with the fumble recovery. Kyle Williams, the unfortunate 49er who mm-hmm. lost the ball at the San Francisco 24 with five and a half minutes left in overtime. The score was tied at 17 apiece, and we all know that uh, on that series, following uh, the, the uh, turnover or the recovery, uh, the Giants get the winning field goal to uh, go into the Super Bowl. Yeah, and if you remember this play, uh, Weatherford punted the ball. The guy, you know, Williams caught it, had a good probably five-yard, six-yard cushion, started to return the ball, and next thing you know, Jaquan Williams comes through, being a linebacker, right? A good, great tackle, puts his hand in there, knocks the ball out, and then like all these other guys are taught, you know, once that ball is, you're not picking it up and running. You are jumping on it and getting the football, and that's what uh, Devin Thomas did. Um, he was one of the gunners, by the way, and was able to run down there and pick up that football. And to me, this is one of the best plays. I'm just hinting to to what I believe is probably one of the one of the greatest plays that went down in that season, because that was the play overtime, right? NFC Championship game to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, come on. I mean, what a great play by those guys, and it came on special teams. 
Yes. You know, the yes. funny part about that is, Jeff, and we always talk about how guys on the back end of the depth chart yep. must contribute yep. on specials. Mm-hmm. I have to believe that Joe Judge would love looking at the tapes from this particular team mm-hmm. because guys like Jaquan Williams, Devin Thomas, Chase Blackburn, the, these guys, man, they mm-hmm. made contributions on a weekly basis doing what they do. You remember, well, Chase came, of course, came off. Well, so yeah, I was just going to say, you remember season. that story, right? But, of I course. mean, previous to that, I mean, that he was just a, a special team stud. You know, and, by the way, he knows a lot about it because he's coaching in the National Football League as a special teams coach now. So. Exactly, with the Panthers. Yep. And, and I think, you know, it's just it, – it's so easy. We, we tell people all the time, especially when you're on the program – that special teams is a third of the game, and people just sometimes they seem to forget or they don't believe it, but it really is so, so important. Yep. Well, that third of the game put them in the Super Bowl right there, so that was uh, an amazing play. All right, so those are the first four pairings, and we'd like to remind you folks that limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. And don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. That particular uh, spot is relevant when you consider that you might want to be at MetLife Stadium on October 17th when the Giants take on the Los Angeles Rams. There will be pregame and halftime activities, all relating to the 10th anniversary celebration of the 2011 Super Bowl 46 champion New York Giants. And, of course, we've also mentioned, as you said earlier, against the Atlanta Falcons on September 26th, we will also see Eli Manning's number 10 retired as he will go into the ring of honor My goodness, it is going to be a special season, Jeff. Regardless Mm -hmm. of what the record turns out to be, there will be memories made during 2021. 100%. And you're hoping that maybe this Giants team in 2021 can go on and do what the 2011 team did in celebrating their 10th anniversary. All right, let's continue with the Super Bowl uh, 46 bracket challenge. And before you go, by the way, this bracket, we continue... We continue with the other third of the game. Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. You can't you can't blame the punter for bringing that to light. Uh, again, folks, you'll be able to vote uh, on each of these pairings round by round on Twitter to come up with the best Giants play of that Super Bowl season. Now, this pairing features JPP blocks a field goal in a thriller. Well, I don't think too many of you need your memories jogged here. It is week 14 at Dallas. The Giants, oh boy, they are in a real tug of war. Mm -hmm. Dan Bailey lines up for a 47-yard field goal attempt that would tie the game at 37 with six seconds to play. And JPP comes up with a block in the middle of that line. Uh, the Giants snap a four-game losing yep. streak mm-hmm. to improve to 7-6. and six. And this game 
really gives them life and puts them right back in the playoff race. A hundred percent. You know, that I was just going to mention that if you had not, the four game losing streak. And, you know, that was, uh, they started before this, they were six and two. Then they went on that four game losing streak, streak, and then they're six and six coming into the Dallas game. Um, the NFC is kind of, you know, it's wide open as far as the playoffs, but, you know, the great thing about this play is that Dan Bailey, he made the kick and Tom Coughlin iced him, right? And, uh, so comes back and this is one of those plays where you never know. You keep playing until the whistle. And JPP with those long arms and was able to split the center and the guard and go through up there and put his arm up, block the field goal. Um, Giants win 37-34 at Dallas, which you, you know is such a, a huge win when you go on the road and play Dallas and beat them in their own stadium, especially the way this did late in the season. Awesome. Great play by JPP. Well, you know, it's funny too, Jeff. We talk about, you know, how people don't necessarily always value special teams. Well, that year, JPP started most of the season, and yet here he was as a guy who was really making a name for himself. Because mm-hmm. if you remember, that was his second year in the league, and he was having a breakout year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wound up going you know, to the Pro Bowl that season. That was his first and probably the best season of his career, to be quite frank with you. And there he is on special teams in the middle of the trenches, sticking his hand up there to get that paw on the ball and basically – you know, again, save the Giants from going to overtime. Who knows? Maybe they would have won the sure, game anyway. Sure, you don't know that. Maybe they would have lost it. But maybe yeah. they would have lost it. And we know this. Boy, did they need that victory. They needed that victory because on the backside of, of, of that of that win, they lost at Washington the following week. So at the, the Cowboys game, they lose that. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. That's a six-game losing streak after starting six and two. Um, so this game was pivotal, if you will. All right, let's go to the other half of this pairing. And, oh, yes, it does involve special teams again. Lawrence Tynes uh, comes through, does it again. 31-yard field goal in the championship game on the mud at Candlestick Park at San Francisco. Uh, we've talked about it earlier with some of the other plays, and the Giants win 20-17 to in overtime to go to the Super Bowl and, you know, I think one of the things that we'll always remember from that particular kick, and, yes, Samad Bradshaw had a couple of runs after the fumble recovery uh, on special teams, mm-hmm. so he was able to get Tynes closer to make it an easier kick. And, by the way, I think we should always remember that that fielded candlestick was a swamp, and you can speak to this. Oh, yeah. And it, that's why it was important for the Giants to try to get some better field position. You didn't want that kick to be hard. You wanted it to be as simple as possible. But I think what we'll all remember is Weatherford jumping up like crazy <laughs> after Tynes uh, put yeah. that one through. And he blew a as gasket. The, as the Giants <laughs> won it. Well, it, he made a great uh, a great hole, too, because the, the ball snap was, was low. The snap was very low. Yep. Um, and not only was it low, you know, you gotta, you got to adjust the laces when it's low like that. So... You catch it, and as you're moving it to the spot, you're moving the ball, trying to get the laces out, and uh, and Tynes just nailed it. So, um, you know, back-to-back special teams plays, right? Boom, boom, boom. Um, and this is uh, this is a tough bracket here because Tynes does it again, and JPP blocks a field goal and a thriller. Those are the two you're going to have to pick from. Um, but Lawrence Tyne does it again, right through the uprights and into the into the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm sure that you know Lawrence Tynes can tell you about those both kicks so many I mean he those are the best kicks he's ever made in his life and they certainly were but I mean he he he, on the kick he made against the Green Bay Packers when we were playing 
He left me high and dry. He left the field. He didn't even give me a high five. It was so cold. He says, I'm out of here. We're getting out of here. Back in 2007 at yep. Lambeau. But, but let me go back to the field conditions, though, Jeff, because oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that enough of people can appreciate that swamp that was the, the, the marshland of Candlestick Park on a day that was moist and miserable and, I, I mean, I don't know. How many fields do you think you've played on in your NFL career that were worse than Candlestick? Probably not too many, especially not too many. when it was wet. Well, here's the thing. That Candlestick Park, if you remember, was built right by the water. So, you know, what happens is, and I've told this story on Big Blue Kickoff Live before, that depending on what time of the day you're playing, that field was dependent on the tide. When the water comes in and water goes out. And so when the water would come in, the field would start to get a little bit wetter. And as if, and if you played like a one o'clock game there and the tide was out, it was dry as a, as dry as you could, dry as a bone. But boy, if it started to come in like at halftime and got to the fourth quarter, that field got wetter and wetter as you went. And that's why they had all that, all that dirt on there. It was like almost like cat litter to absorb all of that water. And it was atrocious. So for him, you're right, Paul. Not only is a 31-yard field goal for NFL standards, that's pretty easy for these guys. But, you know, as far as your footing, um, that's something else. And so, and by the way, it's very windy there, okay? It's uh, very windy at Candlestick Park. And that was just a great kick. You know, the shame of it is you can't isolate a particular play but the beating that Eli Manning took in that game. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we, we all oh. saw it from the sideline. You saw it on television. <laughs> he was planted into that mud time after time after time. And I, I just spoke with Antrell Roll for the Giants huddle that, that is going up mm-hmm. today as well to accompany uh, the announcement of what the Giants are planning to do for this anniversary season. And Roll said to me, not only is he convinced – that Eli Manning was the only quarterback on the planet who could have willed the Giants to win that day. But he said that day, he always knew Eli was tough. But he said when he saw him continue to pick himself back up time after time after time after time, he said, boy, that guy was a dog. And let me tell you something. That's when I not just became a teammate, I became an Eli Manning fan because of what he was able to show on the field that day and I, and I wish that there was a way to quantify that in just one play because it would have to be on this list. But how do you do that? I mean, it was an accumulation of shots. <laughs> Toughness. Toughness. That's why he really never missed a game. Um, you know, he got pulled out of the one game, but, you know, never missed a game. Think about that, folks. 15-year career, never missing a game as a quarterback. Just due like to Brett injury. Farr. That's what they always say. Never yeah. missed a game due to injury. That's the yeah. easiest way to say it. Yep. And uh, – that's, that's just goes to show you. And that game was tough. Boy, he threw a screen pass on one play and just got plastered. I mean, he, he got up and you could see the, the grass in the side of his face mat, his shoulder pad, his, his jersey was off his shoulder pad. But what did he do? Just, he was pointing around. Okay, let's go. Get, let's go. Get in the huddle. And guys were coming up to him, picking the grass out of his face mask. Oh my gosh. Yeah, anyway, it was brutal. It was brutal. Guy. I remember leaving that game after, uh, getting on the field, you know, to do some of the interviews that I had to do right mm-hmm. after the Giants had won. And going back to the airport on the team bus, I remember looking down as I was sitting on the bus, Jeff, and there was mud all the way up to my knees. Mm-hmm. My suit yeah. my suit pants were just covered in mud. Uh, and, and I remember... <laughs> 
I remember getting off the plane and coming home. What? And my wife answers the door and she's like, what happened to you? <laughs> what, did you walk home? <laughs> uh, I tell you that, that game, that game to me was one of the, one of the best Giants games that I, I have seen. Um, collectively from start to finish. What a, what a beautiful game. By the way, that was the first year I had done, uh, I was doing the TV stuff for, um, and it was me, myself, Amani, I mean myself, it was myself, Amani, and Russ, and, um, I can't remember who else it was, but we were at Mike, the... Mike Crispino was part of the crew at one okay. point, so it was well, we were, Anita Marks, we yeah. had a bunch of folks. Well, we were days. on, we were on air, we were at the Shannon Rose in Clifton at that, at that particular game, and, um, I mean, you talk about the place going crazy when that fumble happened, and then when they kicked the field goal. So uh, what a great time. That was amazing. Okay, we go to the next pairing. Hail Hakeem. Hail Hakeem. And we get Hakeem Nix one more time. Only this, this occasion, it's not about his speed. It's not about him getting downfield. It's about the divisional championship game in Green Bay, last play of the half. He catches a 37-yard Hail Mary touchdown from Eli Manning, puts the Giants up with a nice 20-10 to 10 cushion. And to me, that really solidified the fact that they were going to win that game because in the second half, the Giants ran away and uh, took home a 37-20 to 20 victory. And, uh, you know, I thought that that Hail Mary really took all the life out of the Packers. It certainly did, and I tell you, Eli was just so shocked that he caught it, right? I mean, that you know, you know, those things don't happen very often, but this goes to show you the athleticism of Hakeem Nix. I mean, a guy gets up there and and just and just elevates, as we call, you know, the fifty-fifty ball. But that was, I don't even know if that was a fifty-fifty ball. I mean, there was a lot more defenders than there were receivers. So, uh, what a great play! And I, I agree with you. I think that kind of took the wind out of their sails, and the Giants went into the locker room and said, "Hey, we got this, guys." You know, we make the division round is important because you know you're going to the NFC Championship game. You win this one, and that's that was a big play. And those guys came out playing, and they ended up winning the game. You know, I think the other part of this, Jeff, and I say it all the time, how I love to have a skyscraper in that wide receivers room. Sure, sure. Nick's Nick's wasn't the tallest. You know, he was not a six foot four guy. Yeah, six two, right? But, six but he one. had such long arms. Yes, and which big hands, holy smokes. huge hands, and strong hands. It allowed him to play probably at least an inch or two taller than he was. Yep. And that's there. the benefit of having a guy like that on your squad. You got it. All right. We go to the second part of the pairing against Hakeem Nix, and it is the aforementioned Chase Blackburn. We talked about how in the middle of the season he had been picked up by the Giants after he had gone home. He was sitting on his couch in Ohio, and the Giants <laughs> had to bring him back because of injuries. And immediately comes into the lineup. Remember that first game against Green Bay, he picks off uh, the Packers at MetLife Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giants, uh, Aaron Rodgers, of course. Giants wind up by needing Blackburn as he becomes a starter immediately and goes all the way through the postseason. And in the Super Bowl, on the second snap of the fourth quarter, he comes up with an interception inside the 10 yard line on a 50 yard bomb to a gimpy Rob Gronkowski <laughs> inside the Giants' 10, as I say. New England was up 17-15. to 15. Yep. So let's not underestimate the significance mm-hmm. of this play because, okay, maybe, maybe they don't score a touchdown, but even a field goal there gives them more of a cushion. It yeah. kept the Giants within, within two points, yeah. and the Giants wind up winning that game eventually 21-17. to 17. 
let me walk you through this play from a quarterback's perspective, me and Tom Brady. He sees Gronkowski matched up on number 93. He's thinking, okay, I got this. So what does Brady do? He buys a little time for Gronkowski to get down the field on a post route, and he sees Chase Blackburn trailing him. But unfortunately, Brady couldn't get the throw across his body enough because he was rolling to the right and throwing all the way back to the left. It was underthrown, and sure enough, Chase Blackburn makes a Blackburn makes a great play on the ball. And again, very athletic guy. And one thing about Chase, smart is you know what. This guy knows he knew where to be all the time, so you know his smartness really catapulted his career. And so in this situation, uh, being around that defense as long as he had been, even even though he was out of the business for six months, but the fact is coming back and coming through and making this play was was a, a big turnaround because you're like you're you're right, Paul. Seventeen fifteen, New England goes down there and scores a touchdown. This game gets out of hand a little bit. So I think this was a great play. Very under underestimated play. I don't think there's any way in the Underrated world that play. the Patriots or Brady expected him to be downfield that far. No, absolutely. No I mean, think about a quarterback seeing Gronk, number 93 covering know, Gronkowski. Well, we know Gronk did have a bad ankle. We, okay. we know he was a bit gimpy. But still, the yeah. truth of the matter is, the pick by Blackburn, he reached up to get it, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He, I he mean, elevated. He, yep. he, he knew where he was, and he made a good play on the ball like a safety would. Yep. Yep. Great play. All right, we go to the next pairing, and, well, this involves a Giants tight end rather than a Patriots one. A Giant tight end, too, by the way. <laughs> uh, indeed. Ballard last-second touchdown. So we go to uh, week number nine. And the Giants are in Foxborough to take on the Patriots, and it is a one-yard touchdown grab with 19 seconds to go by Jake Ballard that allows the Giants to beat the Patriots, upset them 24-20. to But that's really only part of the story mm-hmm. because this touchdown catch really caps a dramatic couple of moments. Earlier in the drive, he catches a 28-yarder down the seam from Eli Manning, who brought the Giants back on an 80-yard touchdown drive right after Tom Brady had put New England up 20-17, to on a touchdown pass to Gronkowski with only a minute and forty to play. Yeah, I mean you just kind of you just kind of forget about Jake Ballard, right? And what a season he had, and the years that he was with the Giants, and then of course moves on to New England, and um, I'm sure he was rubbing it in the in the face of those guys when he got hired up there. But the fact is, is that he was a favorite target of Eli Manning because I think that he was six foot seven. I mean, he's a huge guy. You remember how big he was, he uh, was. Paul. Um, but just on a, a simple little fade route on single coverage on a linebacker, and and Eli was able to put it up there at that six foot seven frame and goes up there and get it. By the way, that was third and goal with 18 to 19 seconds left. Uh, what a what an amazing amazing play! And by the way, I think it was it was predicated by that drive that you just mentioned because this is a great play. But when you go from start to finish, it even makes it even better. You know, I remember being on the sidelines that night, and, and of course, we all know that this is the second time now because it was back in your Super Bowl following the mm-hmm. 2007 season that after the touchdown pass from Brady to Randy Moss put the Patriots ahead. 
Eli takes the Giants down on a last-minute touchdown drive all the way down the field, hits Plexico Burris, and that's why you have a ring today, Mr. Fiegel. I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, and thanks to David Tyree and uh, and Steve Smith and Ahmad Bradshaw and, and Randy Jacobs. Jacobs. A lot of plays. A lot of plays on that drive that people just don't understand how important they were at the time, right? No question. So what I remember about this, if I can throw my two cents in, I was on the sidelines that night in Foxborough. This was another one of those primetime games. And I remember watching. I was behind the Giants bench, and I watch Gronkowski. They get the, they get the, uh, the conversion, and they're, they're now up 20-17, to 17, Giants down by three. And the entire time, the guy who was standing uh, at the edge of the bench right in front of me was Eli Manning. <laughs> as calm as a cucumber, oh, yeah. basically stoically looking out the field. Mm-hmm. Other guys are kind of pacing around. They're trying to get themselves psyched up. They're clapping. They're, they're talking each other up. And Eli just stands there. He picks up his helmet, bends over to where the, the heater was. Mm-hmm. You know they have those small heaters yeah. uh, on the sideline, folks, uh, next to the benches where there's a little flame in there and it shoots out some nice hot air so it gives the players an opportunity <laughs> to warm up a bit. Eli takes his helmet, puts it at the end of the heater to get a shot of heat in the helmet, turns around, looks at me with a blank stare, pops on the helmet, clicks on his shoulder pads, and then just stands there and waits for the Giants to get the ball back after the kickoff. Never said a word to anybody. And then as he was ready to go out to the field, clapped his hands once, jetted out onto the field, and proceeded to lead them down. And I remember saying to myself, Eli's got this. Yep. And yep. that's exactly what he did. Amazing play. Um, just that's just the way that's Eli. That's the way. He, that's the way he was. Nothing bothered him. He was he was basically going over what plays do we had to go in this and what, what the you know the whole time frame and what we need to do. That's what he was thinking about. You know, he he didn't have to think about anything else. He knew he could do it. He just know he had to figure out how he was going to do it. So. All right. So the Ballard touchdown catch is paired against Tuck Strip Sacks Romo. We go to week 17, the regular season finale. The Giants are home against the Dallas Cowboys. And Justin Tuck comes up with a forced fumble sack with about two minutes left in the game to ice it. The Giants knock off Dallas 31-14. to We talked about this game earlier. It was the game that put the Giants in the playoffs as the NFC Eastern Division champions. Mm-hmm. The key here is that it showed the Giants' dominance, especially of their defensive front. Uh, Tuck registering the team's sixth sack of the day on the elusive Tony Romo, who for so many years had done 360 spin moves, pirouettes, tightrope walks as he scrambled away from Giants pressure. And so many times he would make a play and make something out of nothing. But on this day, the Giants defense ate him for lunch. Yeah, and when you look at what the Giants defense was starting to do, um, you know, they gave up 23 points against Washington in week 15. But I'll tell you what, after that, 14 points, 14 points, go to the playoffs, 2 points, 20 points, 17, 17. So you, what's the formula they say in defense? You know, if the, if, the, the, if, the, if the team can stop the other team from scoring 17 points or less, you should win the game. Well, they won most of those games. And so, in fact, they went on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6-game winning streak after after this game. So, um, actually, before that. But it just goes to show you that that defense and how tuck and uh, how powerful he was, being able to just get in there and, 
and be able to, to – that's a technique that they work on, Paul. You know this, that strip sack kind mm-hmm. of deal. You know, they go and they put that arm in there and they try to s- strip the ball and then hopefully you got his friends coming by and picking it up and it's exactly what happened. So great play and, you know, we don't talk enough about Justin Tuck uh, being on the 07 and the 11 team and how instrumental he was as a leader both on and off the field and – it's truly, that was a special day for him. Well, you'll remember, it was Justin Tuck who coined the phrase all in. Mm-hmm. It was right before the Jets game, just the week earlier, when mm-hmm. the Giants yeah. needed that win against the Jets to keep their playoff hopes alive, that John Paul Gonzalez, a former William Patterson College basketball player who had been a motivational speaker and a teacher, had been invited uh, by George McGovern, the team mm-hmm. chaplain, to come and talk to the team earlier before the Jets game. He comes to the to talk, and he's talking about inspiration, and he's talking about motivation and that kind of stuff. And he comes up with this idea of, you know, poker chips. And everybody, take a poker chip, sign your initial to it, and hold on to it. And when you put it down into the middle of the table – and you push all the chips together because you're unified and you're going to be uh, all in, you know, to be to be uh, uh, on that hand. You're gambling on yourself, you're gambling on your teammates, and everybody's going to sell out for each other. And it was actually Tuck who came up with, that means you're all in. Mm-hmm. And that phrase became the phrase that carried the Giants through the postseason to that Super Bowl championship. It was the John Paul Gonzalez speech. It was Tuck coming up with the phrase all in. And to this day, Antrell Roll actually has the words all in tattooed on his chest. That's awesome. Because he drew so much inspiration from that meeting. And he said he truly believes that that was the critical point for this team because emotionally and psychologically, they all needed to understand that it was no holds barred. Mm-hmm. You are you are all in for each other because nothing less than the championship was going to be good enough. That's right. And by that time in the season, uh, the Giants knew that they had a chance to get all in. Right? They had a chance to get to the to the playoffs. And you know, you, we needed everybody on board. And that means there's so much significance to that because not only are you pushing a, everybody putting the chip in there. There's a lot more that goes into that because you know what? If you're going to throw your chip in the middle of the feet into the into the middle of the table, there's a lot more that comes with the preparation and things that we got to do to be all in. You can't just be all in if you're not going to be committed to what we're doing. So it took a, a whole complete village, if you if you will, for everybody to be in on that on on that season. And let's go get into the playoffs and let's just see what we can do. And we know what they did. Let's go to the final pairing, Jeff. Cruz goes 99 yards. Well, again, I think everybody will remember this one. We go back to week 16. Mm -hmm. It is against the Jets. Giants are the visiting team in this game. And with about two minutes left in the second quarter, uh, the Giants are involved in a dogfight. It Mm -hmm. is is just not a pretty game. They're trailing the Jets 7-3. And Cruz takes a short pass from Eli. A team record, 99 yards on a catch-and-run down the right sideline. The Giants wind up steamrolling the Jets 29-14, to but up until the Crews catch-and-run, uh, that game, let's just say they were very sleepy in what mm-hmm. was a very critical afternoon. Yeah, I mean, just a little over two minutes left in the second quarter. The Jets are winning 7-3, to so, you know, you look at this, the final score, uh, the Giants can win into that locker room after this play, 
And, you know, you talk about how the Hail Mary to Hakeem kind of catapulted the team uh, into the locker room, and then they come back out, and what do they do to the Packers that day? Well, this is what happened here. You get a big play by Victor Cruz on 99 yards. Um, when it's a tight game, 7-3, to three, they come out of that locker room, and then they end up rolling them the next uh, next two quarters. And, and by the way, this is another one of those situations where Victor Cruz breaks a couple tackles, and then he has that long speed that we talk about, and he just outruns everybody. And just, goodbye, see you later, and what a play. I mean, 99 yards, that's, uh, well, it can never be broken, right? It can only be tied. Exactly. We go to the other play in the pairing, and it's Jacobs puts Packers on ice. Brandon (laughs) Jacobs, a vocal leader, an emotional leader, a powerful, powerful leader. Uh, In the division playoffs at Green Bay, 14-yard touchdown with about two and a half minutes to go, and it just is the final left hook that knocks out the Packers in a 37-20 Giants win as they move on in the playoffs. Yeah, just a momentum play. Just, you know, put the nail in the coffin here and uh, no better. When you have a running game and it's working and we know we call it the four minute, right, Paul? When you get into four minutes left in the game and you're mm-hmm. winning, you got to have a running game. Well, this kind of solidifies what this Giants team was able to do by running the football at the end of the game. And by the way, you got a guy that's 265 pounds, which I do not understand how anybody could ever tackle this human being coming through the hole. <laughs> Because if you stand next to Brandon Jacobs with nothing on, like as far as just, you know, no pads on or cleats or anything, he's a big man. Well, by the way, when you put shoulder pads, a helmet, and cleats on, and 265 pounds, there, how? How do people do it? I just don't understand it, but this is, uh, this is one where, hey, here you go, Brandon, take the ball, let's get in the end zone here, let's walk away from here and get the heck out of here and get on to the next game, and that would be the, uh, NFC Championship game against San Francisco. No question. And so what do the Giants do? They proceed to run through the playoffs, Mm -hmm. and they beat the Patriots in Super Bowl forty six, and they are the 2011 Super Bowl champions. Now, uh, one of the things that we want to remind you about, again, the Giants will celebrate this team, the 10th anniversary season of 2011. Uh, That will be on the afternoon of October the 17th when the L.A. Rams come to MetLife Stadium. And I and I think, Jeff, just a moment with you, if I could, uh, it's going to be a reunion day for Mm -hmm. as many of those championship players as they can bring back to the Meadowlands. And, you know, the fans can only express their appreciation so much. But you guys had one of those reunion days for your 2007 Super Bowl team. And that day, that weekend, that week, mm-hmm. and then ultimately being in front of those fans at the stadium is something you guys are never going to forget. Yeah, and, and kind of uh, the order that it happened, you know, the team got together and the Giants just rolled out the red carpet for us. They're going to do it again for this 2011 team. They did it for all the other guys. And um, I think the most spectacular thing that happens when you get together at 10 years after this Super Bowl is number one, you get to see how guys have aged. <laughs> you get to see some guys how big they got and how some guys how little they got. It's kind of interesting. Um, and But more importantly, how guys got married, how guys have kids. Um, you kind of just see the life that these people live, you know, 10 years later. Some, Most of them are out of the league by then, you know, obviously, but um, here's the other thing. It's just the camaraderie. Paul, it's amazing to me that 10 years after you win a Super Bowl, how tight this team still is. Did you just pick up where you left off? And, um, you know, 
it's amazing to me that how many guys show up for it, almost all of them. There was only a few that couldn't. Um, but in the festivities that the Giants put out for us, they fly you in. Uh, you're gonna, we went to a Yankees game where they brought the trophy out and the captains, we were able to have a photo shoot there at home plate in Yankee Stadium with the Super Bowl trophy. Um, that was a lot of fun and they had a suite up, up top. So we were all in there watching the baseball game. And then, uh, later on that night, uh, it was either that night or the next night, they took the whole team to Ellis Island for a pride. We were the only people on Ellis Island that night. And we had this huge venue with food and drinks and speeches and everything. And it was just amazing. And then the next day the game came and the guys get to go to the game and they're introduced. And again, it's just a collaboration. The whole weekend is so much fun and you're able to see the guys that you went to war with. And that's just, that's so important. So this will be a great anniversary for these guys and just a lot of, a lot of fun seeing some of your old friends because a lot of these guys don't see each other for years and years, you know, cause not everybody lives in the area. So it's a great time for everybody to get back together and see each other. And to be introduced to that crowd is, yeah. is always, it's, it's amazing. It's, it, it, it's a special time. It, it really, really is. is for the fans and for you guys as well. Yep. I can't wait to see it. Um, you know, it was just a lot of fun, the 07 team, but you know, and I, I had a lot of guys on this 11 team that were good friends of mine still, of course. you know, so being only four years later. So it was, it's going to be great to see a lot of these guys again. All right. So to wrap things up here again, October 17th, the giants and the LA Rams at MetLife stadium pregame and halftime activities, honoring the 10th anniversary of the 2011 Super Bowl champion giants, don't forget Eli Manning Day on September the 26th against the Atlanta Falcons at MetLife Stadium. They will retire as number 10. He goes into the Ring of Honor. Uh, the bracket challenge, we just went through the 16 plays. Fans will be presented with these top 16 moments beginning today, and it will continue for quite a while as you can vote for the top play uh, by uh, by the teams uh, by going to the team's Twitter account. That is at Giants on Twitter. And we will go round by round by round until we finally come up with the fans' vote for the top play of that season. Now, before we go, Jeff, uh, I've got a couple of questions for you, and I've kind of thought about them myself. Not the top play, because the top play is going to be voted on by the fans. But I'd like to know, which play of those 16 do you think was the most spectacular? Well, this is we could we don't have a lot of time left, but I, I mean we could really debate a lot of these plays. But the most spectacular play to me was the uh, last second touchdown um, against New England. Um, I think that was just I think that was just an amazing play by Ballard. Um, but there's also one other on there is um, uh, you know I just think that where's my little list here and also the Manning to Manningham sideline catch. Absolutely spectacular. So those would be the two. So if I had to put put up those two in the bracket challenge, I'm wondering how people would react to those. But rather than pick one, I think I'm going to pick both of those as being very spectacular to me. Well, for spectacular, I would have to go with the Super Bowl catch by Manningham down the sure. sideline. Yep, so you got one of those in there too. Which yep. play do you think was the most underrated of the 16? Well, I, I think this is kind of – again, I'm going to give you two. Um, the, the Hakeem run – uh, when he runs wild in Atlanta, uh, that is very underrated because I just don't, you don't understand how difficult it is to outrun people in the National Football League on a play like that. But I think the most important one to me, the biggest underrated play in this Super Bowl run in these 16 plays was the JPP play, the block field goal. Okay. 
There's not very many blocked field goals in the National Football League, let alone coming at the time when this happened. You know, you might get a blocked field goal early in the first quarter that really may or may not uh, have an impact on the game. This was just very underrated because uh, it's so hard to do. People don't understand how hard it is. So I think this is kind of a little bit – people don't look at this as a very – big play but this is very hard to do and he did it well i suppose it all goes to how you define each one of these that's right exactly for me, we all have different for me underrated uh has to be the special teams fumble recovery in san francisco again in the playoff yep, game yep. because i don't think a lot of people remember either jaquan williams or devin thomas they re- may remember Tynes's kick for sure and they may remember the giants were set up with a takeaway but how many people do you think remember it was Jaquan Williams who forced the fumble and Devin Thomas who recovered it? That's right. Yeah, big play there. And, I, I mean, there's, that play right there has a lot of meanings. Uh, one, for what you just said, and, you know, I, I feel like, and we'll, we'll get to this in a second, but that, that, that's a huge play in the season. Which play was the most unexpected of the 16 for you? <laughs> Got to be the 99-yard touchdown by Cruz. I mean, nobody goes 99 yards in the National Football League. You know, that's just a play that's just – uh, so glad to have Eli Manning have a 99-yard touchdown. Uh, I mean, my longest kick was 77 yards. The longest in the National Football League is 98. Um, so it just, just doesn't happen all the time. So to me, that was the most unexpected in when it happened. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm on the same page with you. And Great. finally, which play of the 16 do you think was the most pivotal to winning the championship? Now, we're going to disagree here. I know we will, but because this also – in my opinion, depends on how you feel what pivotal means. Was it was it in the regular season that a win pivoted them towards kind of going on that winning streak and doing things? To me, it was the turnover in the NFC Championship game. That, to me, was pivotal because you never know what's going to happen in this overtime game. Um, and when you have a play like that, that it just it pivots everything because not only did you it help you win that game, Paul, but it also gave you the confidence knowing that you could win a game in that type of situation. So why not go to the Super Bowl and win a game? Because the NFC Championship, I know it's not as big as the Super Bowl, but it's just as big, right? It's such a huge game. And the thing about the NFC Championship game is you got to it and you know all you got to do is win one. You got to win that to get in it. Well, this was a huge play in my opinion. This is really a, it pivoted towards the Giants winning the Super Bowl. Not only getting into it, but actually taking that that juice, if you will, and knowing that you can win a game like you just did and go and play this Patriots team again. Well, Jeff, you're right. We do disagree on this one. <laughs> I knew we would. I but knew we but would. here, here's the funny part. We both have a turnover as okay. the most pivotal. Okay. For me, it's Chase Blackburn's interception in the Super Bowl. Wow, okay. Because okay. I, I, I have to tell you, I talked to again. I talked to Antrell Roll for the Giants huddle that's being released today as well, in conjunction with the anniversary celebration. Mm-hmm. And basically, I asked Trell about that pick, and if if he thought, even though the Giants were so determined to win, had had it, Blackburn not made that pick, um, you're talking about being down two scores to the Patriots and Tom Brady mm-hmm. early in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And and Trell believed that as long as the Giants were within striking distance, he always thought that Eli Manning could bring sure. them back to win. Yeah. But going down, remember, at the time, it was 17-15 New England. If they go up 24-15, to 
or maybe even go for the two-point conversion. Mm-hmm. Now the Giants are two scores down. No, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just wonder, if Blackburn does not make that interception, is everything just a nice memory and not as super and as special because the Giants don't necessarily get the Lombardi? Yeah, again, anything could happen, right? Um, and I think that's uh, that's a big hole to come out of uh, going into the fourth quarter when the Patriots have the ability to convert third downs and run the football and, you know, to try to get the football back um, is it's tough. And asking so, a lot. Yep, it's asking a lot. So I, I, can, I definitely could see that. I think there's a lot of plays in this season that a lot of people could probably pick out of the hat and say, I think this one is. And, again, it's just like everybody kind of has their own opinions on things. And it would be very interesting to, to get the take on some of the players. I know we will never will, but, you know, no, what actually they, we will. But what they thought. all throughout the season we will have special Giants programming, podcasts, mm-hmm. things on TV, Good. things on we'll radio. Uh, the platforms will be filled with memories of the 2011 Super Bowl 46 champion New York Giants as we celebrate the 10th anniversary of their season. Jeff, it has been awesome going down memory lane. That was a lot of fun, Paul. Absolutely. This, This championship team is one that we will never forget. Folks, we thank you for listening. And again, remember, you can go to Twitter, at Giants, to vote for your favorite play, your top play, the best play of that Super Bowl 46 season. We thank you for listening to today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and Giants.com slash podcast. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Paul Dottino. So long, everybody.